Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Appreciate you being here. This week, I am interviewing someone who is going to teach us about a adult beverage, a spirit that is the third most consumed spirit in the world, but most Americans have never even heard of. It's behind vodka and basically Korean vodka, um, but it's more consumed than rum, bourbon, all these different things. But uh, Americans just haven't caught on with it yet, and we're going to talk about why that's the case. But, uh, you know, the reason I brought her on, obviously, is always to learn about new things and to learn about something that is just, you know, so widely consumed that Americans just haven't haven't touched very much of is, is an interesting thing. That spirit is from Brazil. It's called Cassasha. I might have butchered that. I tried so hard. She's going to say it a million times in this uh, in this interview. I try it. I still think I'm not saying it exactly right. But it's a Brazilian spirit. It's actually the national spirit of Brazil. Super highly consumed. Almost 90% of it is consumed actually in Brazil. We're going to talk about what makes a Cassasha a Cassasha why most of it, um, well, check that, all of it has to be made in Brazil, and there's a certain alcohol content, all of that stuff. So this is just an episode to learn about uh, something we know not much about, but is widely consumed. Um, It's not uh, necessarily a a big uh, endorsement of, of, you know, heavy drinking. I'm going to leave all of those disclaimers away and and let you just be the the responsible adult there. But it's more about education and less about just being a a alcohol connoisseur. But uh, I really enjoyed this. I learned so much. I was was really pleased to to speak with her. And I have actually tried out her uh, Kasasha now. She was uh, nice enough to, to send me a sample and uh, it's it's pretty darn good. I'll, I'll tell you that for sure. So without further ado, here is my interview with Adelaide Campbell. I am here today with Adelaide Campbell. Adelaide, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well as well. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Thank so, you for having me. Yeah, and right off the, the bat, I want to tell you, this is a silly thing, but just because of your first name, didn't matter that I read your whole bio. When you got on, I thought you were going to be Australian. Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> yeah, no. And I even knew that like, like a month ago when we were talking about this, I was thinking she's Australian, but then I was looking like, no, that's just your first name. And then even yesterday I was like, oh yeah, this person's Australian, but you know what? You just have the name of a city in Australia. So I, I do. I'm already sounding goofy, but, but I really, I, I don't know. That was just something stuck in my mind, but. Beyond that, let's kind of talk a little bit about you. Um, we're going to talk, obviously, about the the spirit, the adult beverage company that you've, you've started. Uh, but before we get to that, tell us just a little bit about yourself before you, you got into that. I, I've heard that you're, you were a numbers person, which is very far from, from what, I, what I'm very good at. So tell us a little about yourself. Absolutely. Um, like you said, I, I grew up as a numbers kid. I was a math kid. I shouldn't admit to this, but I was on the math team in high school. Um, and so, uh, when I got out of college with my, my bachelor's in math, I chose the actuarial profession, which for anybody who is unfamiliar, um, they tend to work in, uh, insurance companies for large investment companies. And the way I describe it is, if accountants look backwards at the books, uh, actuaries look forward and do predictions and uh, make assessments about what they think is going to happen in the future. So a lot of math um, from there. And from my actuarial career, I got into startups, tech startups being from where I was in Boston. Uh, I was originally based in Boston, now based in Miami. Uh, And I'm looking at beautiful palm trees as we talk. Um, And so I got into startups in in the Boston tech sphere. And then from there, I was just kind of unfulfilled and and looking for a change. Um, Recently, I think a lot of people reassessed their their station in life with COVID. And I had a little bit of a 
late, maybe a late blooming quarter life crisis, we can call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and we decided to make this massive pivot uh, last year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah, again, the numbers, I have a business degree myself, but the part that I struggled with the most was the whole finance and accounting. So more power to you that you're, you're good at that. We need everyone that, you know, make the world go around. My day job is in higher education. So I always talk to everyone because it's in, you know, advising. So I always talk to everyone about, about how there's, there's English people and there's math people. And generally it's not both, but if you're both, it's an awesome thing. Uh, But yeah, definitely not a a math person. I think that would make me lead me to drink quite a bit of your beverage if I had to go (laughs) in and and take a a bunch of math classes. But tell us just a little bit about how you think that, um, you know, that experience, not just in, in school and actuary science, but maybe those startups too, how it uh, helped kind of guide you and, and be able to uh, be successful in, in this next venture? Well, so math and finance are really the common thread that, and I know you say you're not a math person, but probably deep down, you know, you've got a little bit of a math side to you because you still need to manage your finances, manage your bank account. Um, so numbers, numbers are the one thing that kind of unites every career, every job. And um, from there, I think that I've a lot of people get into the spirits business because they're very passionate about the spirit that they produce. And I'm no exception to that, but I also bring this pragmatism to my company and I understand cash flows. I understand how to hedge financial bets, not bets so much, but because I'm dealing internationally, there are currency exchanges involved and, um, and just being able to manage the money as, as you, as anybody, as business owner would has come in really, really handy. Um, at the same time, I come from a world being in, in startups where you're trying to prove the value of something that somebody may not be familiar with. I used to work for a company called Notarize, which if any of you ever had to get anything notarized, it's kind of a hassle. So they um, put that all digitally and to try and explain that to somebody uh, is it could always be a challenge. So with my brand and my beverage, it's, it's a little unknown in the U.S. market. And as, you know, as we can, we'll, we'll talk about the name and everything like that, um, being able to present that as a value message to the consumer, to the distributor right on down to, to a potential investor in a company. Um, I've been able to draw on all those experiences that I've had from the tech startup world and my financial background, which is, you wouldn't necessarily think the two would be so linked, um, but I found it to be very helpful. And I think it's probably made this process a little bit easier, not to say that it's been easy at all, but I'm not struggling with the, that side of things like I, I would imagine a lot of people could. Right. No, I feel like just having, having that numbers side is, is extremely beneficial just because I, I'm, you know, obviously this is a, a, I would say probably a passion of yours, a passion project, but still, if you have that numbers background and you know, the numbers aren't adding up that it, it probably helps you to realize, Hey, this is something needs to change. And there's so many people that get involved in business and entrepreneurship that just are, you know, their hearts in it, but they don't really, they're not really thinking with their mind that, Hey, something needs to change. Cause these you're, you're not, you're not making your, you know, the, the balance sheet at the end of the day. So I'm sure that helps. And then data is really the currency of today. Uh, anybody who's doing social media marketing or trying to grow a business in any, in any sense is driven by data. And so being comfortable with data analysis and, and numbers, as you say, uh, and math is, is, certainly an advantage that I'm able to, to dip into. Yeah. Yeah. We're, so this, this beverage, we talked about it before we started because it is a little difficult to say, I wasn't, you know, we're not trying to, to hide what it is, but let me, let me try this. You told me how to say it. It's Kashasha. I, I think I said it the same way that, that you corrected, but what, it, how do you say it again? <laughs> it's Kashasa. Kashasa. And I even tried and, to, I even tried to phonetically do it, but you know what? It didn't work, but well, we actually put the phonetic pronunciation on the bottle to help people because it is, it's a Brazilian spirit. It has a funny little, that curly Q on the bottom of the C. And uh, I think a lot of American, American English speakers, especially look at that and kind of go, ka, 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 cha, cha. 
And um, one of the ideas I have for a future marketing campaign is to get audio and video of as many different people saying it for the first time as they can, as, as we can, because I love to hear all of the different ways people pronounce it when they're first presented with the word. Um, my friend calls it, one of my friends calls it Kashasha. Mm-hmm. My mom says Kasasha, but it's Kashasa. And I, you know, it's, it, I don't, we don't care how you pronounce it as long as you drink it. Yeah. I've heard a, a comedian talk about how, why, Budweiser and Bud is the most, uh, you know, a, a really popular beer. And it's because when you're, you know, 10 in, you can easily say Bud and you can't say Heineken. So I just wonder how it's going to sound, you know, after four or five shots of it, exactly what people are going to be saying. Can I tell you a, a funny story? So sure. the way I first discovered the spirit Kashasa was a friend of mine um, bought a bottle over and he told me the story of how he was first introduced through his father. And I think his father was somewhere down in South Central or South America, maybe Peru or somewhere like that. And they were drinking this drink at the bar. And of course they got completely obliterated on it, but they couldn't remember what the drink was. So they kept screaming, caca, caca <laughs> at the bartender. And the bartender knew what they wanted. And he kept making them the, the drink is the caprina which is the traditional drink that Kashasa really goes in. And so, caca, caca. And he didn't know for the longest time what this drink was until he ordered a Caprina at a restaurant one night. And he said, oh my goodness, this is that spirit. This is what it is. So it, it's been great. You know, it's, it's just a funny experience like that. Now that's that's amazing. And, and me trying to phonetically put it it does have a car in it so yeah i can i can see that for sure that's that's funny i so tell us just a little bit more about the the spirit you mentioned that's a brazilian uh drink from from what i understand is it the like the national spirit of brazil or is that just what people say or i hear that it's a lot more popular uh definitely in in south america than here but i i just want to know a little bit more about it and then of course everyone always wants to compare things just to try to understand things better. I, I don't know whether it has a comparison to another spirit that we may be more familiar with, but, but uh, if you could have a, a comparison there. Well, context is so important. And especially when you're dealing with something that is new to the American palate, it's always help, helpful to compare it to something else. It's how, you know, down here in Florida, we have alligators. So you say it tastes like chicken, right? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but for cachaça, I say cachaça is to Brazil what tequila is to Mexico. Mm. And it's similar in that tequila comes from agave and it's fermented and distilled into tequila. And cachaça is similar in the sense that it is distilled from fresh sugar cane juice. And cachaça, like tequila, is distilled from a, a sugar based. Um, a sugar-based plant, which is sugarcane. So if you think about rum, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with, is distilled from the byproduct of sugarcane production, which is molasses. And cachaça is, I like to say, it's a little bit more natural because it comes from the fresh sugarcane juice, which is pressed out of the, the sugarcane, fermented, and then distilled. And so where rum traditionally has, you'll you probably think of it like it has a caramel or a, a little bit more of a, a velvety texture to it. Cachaça is very organic. It's very kind of herbal and grassy, and it's just got this lovely floral t- taste to it. It also ends up because of the, it's h- almost higher up on the production food chain than something like molasses it can take on what they call in the wine world terroir. So it can taste similar to the area in which the sugar cane's grown. Cachaça that comes from regions that are closer to the ocean can have a salinity to them. The ones that come from the rainforest or the mountains can have a more more organic or, or woody taste to them. And then like tequila, the cachaça can be unaged where it's goes directly into the bottle or it can be excuse me, aged in stainless steel or any number of more than a hundred different hardwoods that come from the Brazilian, uh, the Brazilian forest. I've also heard of some cachaça companies doing aging in oak barrels like Chardonnay or bourbon or anything like that. So it really becomes, once you become aware of the spirit and all of the different 
facets that it has to it, you kind of go down this rabbit hole of, I didn't know that this world existed. And then when you think about it, it is it is the national spirit of Brazil. It is the third most produced spirit in the world behind vodka and soju, which is Korean vodka. And 99% of the production stays within Brazil. So mm. Brazilians love it. It is such a deep rooted traditional part of their culture. And then the little bit that is exported, a lot of it goes to the US, but majority of it goes to Europe and the EU, primarily Germany. So I'm really kind of interested in, in and focused on bringing the spirit to the American consumer. If you're, if you like tequila, you'll like cachaça. If you like white rum, then you hate tequila. Cause I have a friend who will, can't touch it since a bad night believes mm-hmm. she'll drink cachaça. So it's, it's really this, this chameleon of a spirit uh, that has so much wonderful, rich history to it that, uh, that the American and the U S market really deserves to know about. And what, so what's the, I, I mean, I know there's, there's probably different varieties and it really depends, but generally what's, what's like the alcohol content of it? So legally, and the Brazilian government has done a lot of work to protect cachaça because being the national spirit of Brazil, they, they want to maintain its integrity. So cachaça like champagne can only be produced in Brazil and there's rules about it can only come from fresh sugar cane juice. And there are actually laws about the alcohol content that it is legally only allowed to contain between 38 and 48% alcohol. Mm. My brand and my company, we do it, we bottle it at 40% because we feel that it's, I love the idea of being able to swap cachaça in and out for different cocktails, do a Cosmo, a Mojito, Margarita, and being able to really equate one-to-one for whatever spirit you're you're swapping out um, was important to us. So that's why we went with with forty percent for our, for our brand. So is it is it like technically a Kasasha then? Like, because I'm I'm from Indiana, we're pretty close to Kentucky. I've done a million bourbon tours the same way. If it's not produced in Kentucky, it's not bourbon. It's a bourbon style spirit. So is yours technically a, still a, a Kasasha if it's not in um, you know in Brazil and it's not that alcohol content you were talking about? It, it is. So it falls within the parameters between 38 and 48%. So okay. we're still legal. I, I heard different. I thought you said 40 <laughs> nope. to 40. I gotcha. Okay. No worries. So it also, we are, our business model is a little different than a lot of the Kashasa brands out there because we bring it in. Um, we formulated a specific formula blend that's unique to us with our distiller distillery in Brazil. And then mm. we import it in bulk. And we bottle it here in South Florida. So that way we're, main, we're able to maintain a tighter level of quality control over the product that goes out to the market and being able to ensure quality and consistency to the consumers very important, was very important to me when I started the brand. And so um, being able to, to bottle it and manage it here is, is great. Um, a lot of the other brands will, you know, bottle it and and distill it and then bottle it in Brazil and then import it already ready for packaging. Um, but legally, it is legally able to be cachaça and the Federal Bureau, the TTB, uh, which you may or may not be familiar with, it's a, a federal body that monitors and, and controls alcohol and firearm uh, commerce in the U.S., is is the one that approves my bottle and they maintain control of and um decisions over the word and the use of the word cachaça so it's uh it's all legally cachaça that's awesome so you were talking about how it um you know is kind of versatile and can go in a lot of different cocktails how are people normally drinking it is it normally a a mixer type thing or are people drinking it you know straight Quality cachaça can be enjoyed straight, just like a good bourbon or a a good tequila. And it should be, you always strive to create a product that is, is not like rocket fuel. And actually that was part of why I got down this, this path of creating the cachaça, because I had it the first time with my friend. And then you try a few others that are out there on the market and they either are like I said, rocket fuel, um, or they're really expensive, 40 to $50 a bottle. And I, I saw the potential in creating a, a product that hit that sweet spot between palatability, 
ease of blend within a, with a bunch of different cocktails, but also at a price point that wouldn't scare off somebody who was unfamiliar. And, and if you're going to take a risk on something new, you don't want to invest $40 in a, in a bottle. Um, and so the, the, you, the, drink that it goes into traditionally is the caprina, and that is uh, lime with sugar muddled together with ice and cachaca. And it is, it's, you know, kind of like a daiquiri or something like that, that you would make with rum, like sort of like a margarita without the, the orange flavor to it. Uh, it's, it's just a wonderful kind, it's a wonderful blend of flavors and, and, and textures and everything like that. And then the next thing you'd want to do is, well, it's just delicious on its own. What else can I put it in? Gotcha. So what, what makes you think, or wh- why do you think that, uh, Kasasha is not, uh, ha- hasn't been, you know, drink as much in the United States or really anywhere else? Is it just that Brazilian know they have a good thing and, and don't want to share? Or why do you think it hasn't, uh, hasn't transcended a little bit more? Cause obviously tequila has. <laughs> Well, tequila benefits from the proximity to the U.S., so it's an easy jump over the border right there if you're in, in California or, or Texas to, to bring tequila in. And, and it always does come down to import-export, so international commerce is kind of something that I wasn't very in tune with a year ago, and now I'm extremely in tune with it because of the nature of the business. Um, but I think also the a lot of the cachaças that are on the shelves right now and available in bars are they kind of have that you know that rocket fuel reputation to it and if i the few people i a few people i spoke with as i was doing market research before we launched the brand it was almost like a punchline that they drink cachaca that put the hair on your chest kind of thing and i and much like tequila was maybe 30 40 years ago with with the first tequilas that came to the U.S., they're, they're not as high quality. And then as it starts to gain awareness, as it starts to get out there into, into the universe, everybody starts to realize, oh, it's not just a bad college drink that you shoot and t- chase with lime because it's so bad. It's a, it can be something that's sipped and savored and is complex and has depth to it. And so I think those are some of the reasons why Cachaca hasn't really caught on in the U.S., I also think that Brazil as a market for the U.S. is still has a huge opportunity for growth, especially when it comes to things like clothing and food. It's not when you think about the places that U.S. trades with for for food and 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 beverages, you don't necessarily think of Brazil as, as the top of your mind. And this could all just be my speculation. And the Brazilians really just could say, we're just going to keep it all for ourselves because we love a good party. And, you know, we've got to keep Carnival going and it, it lives on Kasasha. <laughs> so tell us just a little bit about creating, you know, the, the company, because I know that you early last year quit your job, which is a huge leap. You can talk a little bit about that, but I want to hear a little bit more about um, creating the company. There's a couple of, couple parts to that too, where I would wonder about, uh, you know, how you, how you were perceived or, or how you were accepted within, you know, the Brazilian community that's already doing this. And I'm sure there's, you know, companies that are, you know, very old by this point. And then also how you were accepted, um, you know, in, in the community as, you know, a female entrepreneur. And the only reason I ask that is just because again, going to all of these, bourbon um, distilleries here in Kentucky. I went to one that was ran by an awesome, you know, female entrepreneur who was talking about how bourbon was a good old boys club that they were, it was hard to break into, but now that she's just, you know, kicking their butt basically. So let's see how many questions I can put into that one question, but I don't know if you can keep up with it or not. (laughs) Well, I think that um, when starting the company, I, I, I didn't have the idea to start to create a cachaça brand when I quit my job. I knew that I was dissatisfied and I was frustrated with where my career was headed. And I knew also that if I took the amount of effort that I was putting into that job, that if, and I put a third of it into supporting my husband's company, who he's also an entrepreneur, a third of it into job hunting for something else here in Miami, because Miami's really exploding as a tech hub. A lot of startups and, and hedge funds are coming down here. So I knew there were opportunities there. And a third of that effort going into a passion project, like you said, uh, something would 
in six months, I knew that mentally I would be happier situate the, the situation would, would reveal itself of which path I was supposed to take. And so I, I just, for some reason, it just, this chord just struck with Kashasa. I, I recognized the market opportunity. I love the spirit on its own. And then it became this, this process of, I don't know anything about the liquor industry. I don't know anything about the three tier system. I've never even been a bartender. How I have, I, I've never distilled anything in my life. And I, I've drank a lot in my life, wine and spirits and everything, but I know nothing about how it gets from the grape to the glass. And so I just put my head down and I started learning and I, I actually purchased a wonderful book that I found um, in my research and got in touch with the author because I had a very specific question that he didn't cover in the book. And that was how um, I actually was connected with my supplier in Brazil. So I had a very specific question about importing alcohol where you have to go through the TTB and the permitting process. And I knew I wanted to import it in bulk and I wanted to do it here, but finding my supplier, I was, I was having trouble with understanding the volumes and getting samples. And so when he connected me with the CEO, the former CEO of LeBlanc, which is probably the most well-known cachaça in the US, it's a Bacardi brand. Bacardi bought the brand a number of years ago, connected with him and I just said, I'm interested in creating a product. Um, is there anybody in Brazil that you would recommend? And he ended up recommending this wonderful distillery. It's a uh, Oh, I'm my, my, my Portuguese is terrible, but I'm going to take a shot at it. It's Fazenje Solidej. And they have the, the master distiller there has just been incredibly helpful in helping me navigate the world of cachaça that he lives in. He, what he does is they actually source, they don't grow the, the, um, the sugar cane themselves. They source cachaça from a lot of the distilleries around them in their region. And then they are very meticulous about formulation and chemical analysis and making sure that it's perfect and exactly the profile that they want every single time. Very kind of scientific data, math-driven way of, of approaching it. Um, so it's equal parts art and science to create these cachaças. And they were hands down by far the best cachaças I have ever tasted in, and I, in all of the samples that I had gotten along the way, it was amazing. And so what we started to do was blend a couple of the different cachaças that he has, uh, various aging, various hardwoods, things like that, came up with a blend that, um, that we felt worked in as many different cocktails as we could find that was also friendly to the palate, could be enjoyed on its own. Um, and so he was, he's just been lovely. I haven't, because I've done this company, I've started this company while in COVID times, I haven't had the opportunity to travel and see the distillery and visit the distillery, but we're, we're constantly talking via email. We stay, you know, stay consistently in touch. He's been absolutely wonderful. And the Brazilian government is really interested and focused right now on promoting cachaça as an export for the country. And so I, I may be just a little bit ahead of that trend and able to, to take advantage of some of that. As for being a woman in, in the, the spirits industry, um, I, I, I think there's a lot of attention paid to it because it's, it's known as a, a, a male dominated industry especially bourbon, especially some of like spirits. So women traditionally, I think maybe in probably wrongly are assumed to drink wine. They want something lighter, something lower alcohol, lower calorie. Um, but there are just as many women out there who will drink a, a scotch or a tequila or something. And any brand that isn't considering the female buyer is leaving, I think it's 51% of the population, the legal drinking age population out there. So not that our brand specifically focuses on marketing to women, um, but I, I want the, the brand to be just as appealing to women as it is to men. It's supposed to be a uniting, fun, happy, we call it the spirit of carnival, just that energy and the passion and the, the vibrancy and the dancing that you, you think of when you think of carnival down in Rio. 
And the other thing is, which most people probably may or may not be aware of, is when in the parade of the Samba schools, when you think of Carnival, most Americans are thinking about the parade of Samba schools. It's actually a competition. And there's always a leader, a lead dancer for the Samba school. And it's most of the time it's a woman. And she is out there and she is dancing her heart out and she's leading these hundreds of dancers, these massive floats behind her. And it's something, just a powerful image that, that uh, we really want the brand to evoke. And we want our, our people who, who drink cachaça to, to take that spirit with them when they drink cachaça. No, I like that. And I like that you, 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 you managed. I think I answered all your questions. All those mangled questions all together. Yeah. I, yeah, you, you, you did an awesome job. And I like that. I like that. uh, I guess the, the picture at the end of Carnival and, and uh, a a female leading the the whole thing. I think that's really awesome. And I think that, uh, you know, males, when it comes to this type of thing, have a tendency. And the reason we probably don't have good cassation yet is because, People just drink the, the rocket fuel. So I think that's, I think that's really, really cool. Um, so again, I'm, I'm kind of relating this to, you know, what I know about bourbon, which is nothing, you know, I don't think it has the, anything the same taste, but just something that I know a little bit about. And that is, um, you know, how, how do you feel like, do you feel like it's a benefit to kind of be on that ground floor and, and bringing in a spirit that very few people know about. So you've got to teach people about that, but you don't have very much competition or do you feel like it would have been easier, which no one cares about what's easier, but you think it would have been easier to start a brand that has a lot of competition, but everyone already knows the spirit, if that makes sense. Well, I, part of the reason I landed on Kashasa, this might be a little bit of a longer answer than, than you're, you're looking for, but this uh, maybe two years ago, my friend and I had talked about the idea of starting a beer or a brewing company, and we wanted to call it Basic Bitch Brewing, going back to the whole marketing to females. And we thought about um, low alcohol spritzers, things like that, um, beer, like the cool girls beer. And um, from that idea, just thinking about passion projects and everything earlier this year, I started to say, well, just as a, as a mental exercise, if I, if we wanted to do that, what would the process be? I've, and like I said, I have no experience with this. So how, how do you go about bringing a new brand to market? And so I did some research on, um, on options for entering new beer, wine, and spirits brands into the world. And what I learned was it's called white labeling. And there are a lot of breweries and distilleries out there that will, allow you to create your own custom brand and they will bottle it and label it. And then really all of that side of things is managed for you. And then you're able to freely go out and do the marketing and the brand development, the brand identity and everything like that. And so one of the, one of the distilleries I found in this process is actually based here in Florida and all of them do vodka, gin, tequila, whiskey. Um, And this one distillery had cachaça and it was, it was something I had only been introduced to within the last year. And it just kind of struck a chord and I went, wait, the market's saturated. Like you said, there's a million different vodka brands out there. And there's a, a, a vodka at the end of the day is really just tofu when it comes to spirits, whiskey and bourbon has its own levels of complexity as we've learned with you know, the bourbon trail and everything like that. Tequila can have the same level of complexity. Gin, there's a lot of different opportunities for gin. So um, Kashasa just felt like this, this wide open space that it didn't sound scary. It sounded like there's an opportunity here that for a need that I can fill. And so um, just kind of going down this, this rabbit hole of, of picking, picking Kashasa out of, out of all of these other spirits I think has worked in my favor. I think what has also worked in my favor is this recent push by the Brazilian government to popularize it and focus on exporting it. Um, and, and so I think that I might be, not to be too presumptive, I might be early on a trend that could come around into the U.S. in the next five to 10 years where people might be burning out of tequila a little bit, 
every celebrity's launching a tequila brand or a, you know, a spirits brand of some sort. And nobody's really given Cachaca the amount of love and respect that I think it, it really is owed. Yeah. And that, and when you were kind of explaining the uh, process of, of how you created it, that, that, you know, the white labeling is kind of what I, I was wondering. Uh, I, I, I am kind of familiar with, with that, but when I talk to entrepreneurs, a lot of times when, when we kind of talk about, okay, is this something that you've, you know, you're creating or is it something that you you've kind of created the formulation and somebody else's, they normally don't really want to talk about that. They, they, I feel like that's kind of a, a dirty thing to some people. So is that, I mean, is my, my understanding, is that kind of what this is? Is it, is it a distiller in Brazil that you've kind of created a formula and then, and then labeled it to the U S market? It's, so I am not a distiller. I, I am not a master distiller. I, I don't have the background or, or the experience in what a lot of, when you think about a distillery or a brand owner, they're really deep into the, the distillation process, the fermenting process, the aging process. I am interested in it, but I also know that I'm not an expert in it. And so being able to outsource that or rely on somebody who has made it their passion and made it their career and then use that so that I can focus on the things that I'm good at, which is the branding and the relationship building and getting it out to market. That is, I mean, maybe it's, it's a little bit of a faux pas. I think for some brands and perhaps it's a little bit more on the, the whiskey and the bourbon side of it, because you have that whole mystique of those warehouses and the barrels and you go somewhere and you go to a tasting room and, and for a lot of craft brewers or craft distillers where they're in a really crowded market like bourbon and whiskey, going to the distillery is really part of the experience because Cachaca is a new spirit and a new brand and a new experience. And Brazil is also a little bit more difficult to get to. You, you, you can build authenticity into the branding without actually having to be the one who's who's doing the mixing. Now the blend that we have is my is is a blend that we created here in my kitchen um, with a scale and and doing three different blends of three different cachaças actually. Um, And so it is it I'm passionate about the product itself, but when it comes to the expertise in in creating it and 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 distilling it and fermenting it and aging it. Um, I, I lean on my, on my producer to, to bring that, um, to the, to the table. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, I, I don't understand why that wouldn't be appealing. Just, I, I think it sounds a lot better that, Hey, I've, I've found somebody that this is, this is their passion work to actually distill it in Brazil, where it's the national spirit. Um, uh, and rather than, Hey, I, I tried to make my own in the bathtub. I think I got a real good product, but I'm just not real sure. So it sounds better to me that it's that way, you know? Yes. And if you think about tequila also, you know, when you think about Jose Cuervo all the way up to Patron or Don Julio, there really is, you know, and, and Kent, the Jenner, uh, Kylie Jenner got a lot of flack for the lack of authenticity in her brand when she launched her tequila and, and that prop that has more to do with the branding than where she gets her tequila. And I think that if nobody's going to the Don Julio distillery in Mexico or, or fewer people are than are going to wild Turkey or, or any of the big distilleries here in the U S and, and I think also the U S kind of prides itself on the craftsmanship of, of the bourbon. And, and that's why you get a lot of distilleries, especially, where, where you are in Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, but when it comes to importing, it's because it's so much harder to go to those wineries or those distilleries or, or any of those farms. Um, it's, it's building authenticity into the branding. And <clears throat> I think where, where she made her misstep is she named it after an area code, which is personal to her. And it is a tequila, you know, it, if it were a vodka, it probably would have flown. I mean, it's did, she did still sell out and, and her brand is doing really well, but I probably the branding of the 818 and everything would have gone a lot better with a tequila, uh, with a vodka or something like that, that doesn't have as much cultural significance as tequila does to Mexico. And I'm trying to be very sensitive of that with Cachaca because, because I'm not Brazilian and I am very open about the fact that I am, <clears throat> I am 
from New England. I'm, you know, my background, my cultural background is actually off the boat um, from like the Mayflower and then a little bit of Portuguese, but I don't have that personal cultural tie to Brazil. However, I have identified Brazil as an opportunity for growth and to bring those that that culture to the U.S. Because Cachaça, I say that the brand story isn't my story. There are a lot of brands out there where the founder, their identity and, and who they are is very much wrapped up in the brand. I separate myself very much from the brand because it's not my story to tell. It's just, I'm, I use, I want to use Cachaça as a way to open a door for people who may not be familiar with Brazil or with, or with Cachaça to experience all of these wonderful things that it has to offer and then let the Brazilians take it from there. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's cool. That's how you've explained that kind of a, a catalyst to, to bring it into the market, but not necessarily your story. So I'm sure that you've You've had a, a fair share of uh, Brazilians test it out. Are you, are you getting good uh, good responses there? Or are they saying this tastes like New England? I I got when I um, so I, I sent the recipe to my my distiller down in Brazil, and he brewed up the first batch, and he sent me some samples and and everything ahead of time before the bulk order, and he sent me all caps that this is amazing. Okay. So. He, I, when, when my distiller in, in, in Brazil said it was good, I, I kind of breathed a little bit of a sigh of relief that, that I'm getting quality reviews, somebody who knows Cachaça. And then also um, being in Miami, there are, uh, there's a very dense Brazilian population here. And um, I've managed to, I've been able to connect with a lot of people here and just taste test it and samples and set and pass it out, pass it out. And um, I've gotten pretty much uniformly positive reviews. And then my secondary goal, I, Brazilians already kind of know Cachaça. So there's a built-in market there and a built-in demand where I'm setting my sights. And this might be, might be more of a challenge is to bring in the non-Brazilian market. So I am target. My goal is to sell to somebody like you or me who has never heard of it before, but wants to try it. How do I, how do I bring you in? And, and expose you to something that is completely unknown to you. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about bringing us in and, and the name of your, your company. I, it, so this Kasasha starts with a C, your company starts with a K, but it's very similar spelling. Is it, is it said the same way or how do you, how do you pronounce it? Yes, it is pronounced the same way we did. So Kashasa is spelled, the spirit is spelled C-A-C-H-A-C with a little squiggly A. Our brand is Cachaça with a K. And I did that for a couple of reasons. Number one, because with when it starts with a K, I think it's pretty clearer. It's much clearer that you're supposed to have that hard K sound with Cachaça. If you do it with a C, too many people say Chicha, Caca, they're, they're not, they're unsure. Yeah. And then there's a second part of it, which is a little bit more of a strategic business decision, because if I'm, if my product is at, at, at a bar with, more than one other cachaça, mine immediately becomes part of the conversation because somebody will order caprina or cachaça something, and you automatically have to differentiate, well, do you mean the brand with the K or do you mean something else? And so by, by just folding it into and making it ubiquitous like that, you can't talk about cachaça without talking about cachaça. Yeah. Well, that that gets into topics that that my yeah my MBA brain here the non the non math side is thinking in, in marketing sometimes sometimes good and sometimes bad when it comes to like Kleenex people don't think of the Kleenex the brand anymore they think of the product so some it's sometimes a good thing that's that way and sometimes it's not a good thing obviously that's a totally different thing and and. Uh, but, but still, yeah, let's, let's move on from that. But I do want to ask you um, about, I, I guess, the, the goal in the future. Obviously, uh, you, I'm sure you'd like it on, on every, every shelf at, at the, you know, at every bar. But what is your goal your, for uh, maybe the, the next five, 10 years? Well, there are a couple of, and any good entrepreneur will tell you that no, you don't start a company without thinking about the exit strategy. And so, I have a couple of, of strategies and, and options open to me. So 
right now we have Kashasa Spirits. The brand is is you know will hopefully be, go beyond just the one um, the one expression that we have. We'll go into aged expressions and, and other uh, other product lines. But um, beyond that, it is actually my company is an import company, and so we have a federal permit to import alcohol. And I would I've actually been approached by a couple of other Kashasa brands in Brazil about importing to the U.S. and and part of Part of why it's so challenging is because the U.S. market and the U.S. alcohol market is very confusing and it's very in its in its three tier system to somebody who has not lived through it. And it's a byproduct of it's it's a hangover, pun intended, of prohibition. So importing and getting your product on the shelf if you're if you're based in Brazil can be really challenging if you don't understand all the hurdles that you have to jump through uh, jump over and so I could very easily I, I plan on expanding our product line but then also Kashasa Spirits the import company could start importing other Kashasas to as the as we hope and anticipate the market to to grow and and the um, the the demand for it grows the other uh, option we have available is to sell the brand like a lot of companies probably intend to where you sell it to a big like Bacardi or Diageo or InBev or one of those big guys that kind of seem to own the world um and I could also continue to run this as as like I said as like an import company and, and continue to do it so I'm I'm going to wait and see what what the future holds but it would probably be more likely that the brand would eventually be acquired uh the brand itself maybe not my import company and i can hold on to that and, but also i'm the kind of person and i'm i'm as i think a lot of entrepreneurs would say it's you know every everything you do every project you work on is is just a step and so you you are it's life is a never ending opportunity to solve a unique problem in a unique way. And so the problem I'm solving right now is that people are probably getting a bit a little burned out of tequila. They're maybe looking for something a little bit newer. We're more sophisticated consumers and we want to make sure that the things we're consuming are sustainably sourced and have some sort of uh, in significance to them. And so we'll be able to solve that problem with Kushasa. Go, maybe maybe my next company is something else and something I couldn't even imagine what it would be at this point. But um, being able, I, I, I've said to a friend recently how I would love to be, I, I would love to see Kashasa explode in the U.S. and and have my my brand and our brand be a part of that because I think that it is really owed a lot more credit than it currently has in the U.S. market. Yeah. So, so how do people, I guess, connect with you and connect with the brand? Um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to get, given that the distribution is not out there quite yet uh, for, for everywhere to, to tell people, you know, go out there and try it. Definitely. If you said that most of it out there is like rocket fuel, but, <laughs> but how can, uh, how can people connect and maybe get a, a better quality? I have no shame in promoting another Kashasa out there because I think it's, it's, you know, any Kashasa is good Kashasa. It's a good experience. Um, one of the national brands out there is Novo Fogo and their silver Kashasa is actually really good. So if anybody is excited about this and wants to try it, I don't personally, I don't think it tastes a lot like the Kashasa that we're doing, which is something you'll find with Kashasa. They all are very unique in their characteristics. Mine would probably be a little bit, I, if I, if I, gave it to you and you sipped it and I said tequila, you'd kind of get a little bit of a tequila. If you, if I gave it to you and sipped it and I said white rum, you'd, you'd feel that. So it's a little bit more of a chameleon in, in, in that sense. However, we are probably a month or so away from being available through distribution. So we are available, uh, you can get on our mailing list at kashasaspirits.com, K-A-C-H-A-C-A spirits.com. We're also on Instagram and, um, we are on Facebook as well. So to stay in touch, find out what's going on as we launch, we're going to launch in Florida initially, but also have plans to partner with a, uh, an online distributor where we'll be able to have national distribution as well, as far as it, into as many markets as we can with a direct-to-consumer, which I think a lot of people are becoming much more comfortable with as they're, they're ordering alcohol uh, through online 
through the supplier's website. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's awesome. The, I mean, the main reason I wanted to speak with you is just to learn about an entirely different spirit that probably most people that's listening have never even heard of, um, you know, just to bring it back to the, the bourbon. When I talked to, you know, those companies that, that we've been around for 150 years, and everyone knows all about them. It's so ingrained to, to, to talk about a, a spirit that's so widely um, drunk in, in Brazil for us to not even know about, I think it's just a, a really cool thing. And it's, it's something that I didn't even think, uh, I guess was possible. I, I figured by, by now most, you know, with, with the American consumer, most alcohol and the kind of alcohol had probably been, uh, been consumed, uh, heavily by, by this point. It is, it's a new thing. It is, um, it's definitely, I see it growing in popularity and growing in awareness. I love to teach people about it because there's just so much history. Actually, one, one little factoid I'll leave you with is um, it's older than rum. Mm. It is the oldest produced spirit in, in the Caribbean, South American. Uh, it predates rum by at least a hundred years. Well, that, that's, yep. that, that's, that's crazy for sure. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and a good place to leave it for sure. So I appreciate your time. It was, it was, a, it was really cool to, to learn about the spirit, to learn about your company and, and taking that leap. There's just a lot of, a lot of cool parts of it. So it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure was all mine. So that was Adelaide Campbell. Hope you enjoyed that. You know, as Americans, whether you drink or not, you, you've got to admit that kind of alcohol is ingrained just in, in the fabric of, of who we are. I think that's kind of the case in most places, you know, Germany, has their beer and Russia has their, their vodka and the Caribbean with their rum. You know, that's all just generalizations. But uh, everyone, I think, kind of comes together, you know, with with alcohol, with beverages. You know, there's a responsible way to do it. Like we already talked about, we're not going to talk necessarily about that. Uh, but I do think that uh, it's it's a really an important part of uh, a part of our, our culture and, and other cultures as well. So to learn about a spirit that is so uh, widely consumed that we've most Americans have never even tried or, or even heard of for that matter, uh, it was a, it was a cool opportunity to to hear about that. If it is something you're interested in, uh, the links in in the description, the show note. We'll, we'll talk uh, about uh, how to, to find Kasasha. Um, it'll give you some, some information on how to find Adelaide. But uh, it was a pleasure speaking with her. I appreciate you being here this week. Uh, obviously, always check us out if you haven't already. Subscribe, follow, Not Enough Podcast on Instagram. Um, like and review on Apple Podcast if you feel so inclined. Uh, but uh, thanks for being here. We'll see you next week and take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome. <laughs>